Amen. Praise God. Good morning, everyone. Once again, we welcome you here to the house of God. Amen. I know you are people who love God, love His Word, and you understand that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. And this morning, uh, we have Pastor Heath McCoy, who for the last 10 years has worked in our district headquarters for the Assemblies of God. Southern New England makes up uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. In the last eight years, he has been the youth director. He is the one that has uh, led and had those awesome, awesome gatherings, youth conventions at the convention center, 1,000, 1,500 young people from all over, just powerful times. My wife and I have gone to some of them, and they've just been such a blessing. Our youth uh, and the leadership of our youth pastors have done an awesome uh, job in participating. And so this morning, I want you to just open up your heart. I know you love the Word of God, and I know you know that faith comes by hearing in hearing by God's word. Would you give a great big victory welcome to Pastor Heath McCoy this morning? Amen. Morning. I got it to you never works, right? When you want it to work. You ever notice that? Come on. Well, this morning, I'm just so grateful to be here. Thank you for uh, your pastor inviting me to come and share. Actually, uh, in all my years of being here, this is not my first time in your church or being even speaking to the youth, but this is my first time speaking to you on a Sunday morning. So you guys are really blessed. You know. Come on. No. Uh, man, so my, my, uh, my wife and my son are here. They probably just pulled in. They, they, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Need Donuts, but Providence has a thing called Need Donuts. And uh, they are very good, and we don't get them very often. So they dropped me off early to run and grab some Need so we can take them home and take them to the office tomorrow so we'd be nice, but not, we'll share. And, um, and then she texts me. She's like, we got lost like crazy. And so they should be here any minute now, but that's okay. <laughs> But uh, they're here. But I, I do have a quick, because when the, the whole family's not together, I'd like to show the whole family, because there's a, a family of four of us. I think there's a picture on the screen that uh, Pastor Mike put together for me. But, uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. So uh, that's my daughter, my son, and my wife. We are huge Florida Gators fans. And uh, for my 25th wedding anniversary, I've been married August will be 27 years, but 25th year anniversary, we got to kind of pick what we wanted. And mine was to go see a Florida Gators football game in Gainesville and so my wife took me and we got good seats and uh, we got to go to a Florida Florida State game which is their big rival and we spent the night down it was just it was awesome so this is uh that's my family and I'll talk more about my daughter here in a little bit but uh, that's how beautiful they are and they're wonderful and so I love having them so but again thank you this morning what I want to talk to you about I was uh I was born and I like to tell people I was born in the country of Florida uh, you know or the the, the state of Florida, and uh, raised there my whole life until I went to college and got married, and then we youth pastored in Ohio for about 12 years before making the journey to New England. And uh, when I was a young kid in Florida, if you know anything about Florida, there's certain things, especially animals, that can hurt you there. And um, when, I, when I grew up, I was in fourth grade, and uh, I just lived by this belief that no matter how young or old you are, you, we desire to be significant. Like, we want our lives to matter. Yeah. 
And I think, I think from the time you're born, that significance comes. I mean, think about it. When, you're, when you had kids or when you were born, you know, you're, you, you, can't, you weren't, everyone wants to say babies are really pretty when they're born. They're not pretty. There's nothing cute about a baby when it's born, right? It's like conehead and slimy and, you know, it's like all that. And we like to go, oh, it's so beautiful. But how many of you know, usually when, when you were born or when you had your kids, there was this overwhelming sense of like, oh my gosh, this, this thing is so beautiful. And, and I just, you know, you have all these dreams for this and you're like, you're going to be poor. You're going to, and if you're a parent, like I was, you're like, you're going to make me lots of money and you're going to do all these things. Right. And that's the dreams. But no matter how young or old you are, you want to be significant. And I remember in fourth grade, uh, I was in elementary school, obviously. And there was a guy in my class, a boy in my class, we were friends and true story. He's, he's coming home one day with his little sister. They're walking through a field in Florida and out of nowhere, a rattlesnake bit his sister on the leg. And here he is in fourth grade, he picks his little sister up and he runs home and he saves her life. So a few, a month or so goes by and the next thing you know, in my elementary school, this guy, they're having a school assembly. You know what a school assembly is, right? They're bringing everyone together. And when we came in, we didn't know what the assembly was about. So we come into this assembly and here is the mayor. Here's the chief of police, the fire department chief. I mean, all the newspapers are there. And they're bringing my friend up on stage to recognize him, give him a plaque for what he did for saving his little sister's life. And here I am in fourth grade, right? And I'm out in the audience. And the only thing I can think of is, I want a plaque. (laughs) I want the mayor to come to me. I, I mean, I want the chief of police to be there for me. That's all I can think about. I took my little brother to every field I could find to try to get a snake to bite him. Because I wanted to be significant. And I think we all are born with that no matter where we are. But how many of you know life, or, life is made up of moments kind of like that, where there's these moments in our lives that have the potential to change our course. They have the potential to rewrite our history. They have the potential, maybe if you're in here and you know Jesus, hopefully you can count the day that you found Jesus and accepted him in your life. Because that was a life-changing moment. And lives are full of those. When you have kids, when you have grandkids, when you find a new job. I remember getting my first paycheck. On my, I thought I was rich. I called my wife-to-be. And I'm like, we got $300. You know, we thought we were the richest people in the world. But we're full of those moments. And how many know the Bible is even fuller of those moments? Where people had the opportunity, moments to say yes to God and change their course and trajectory forever. It's an amazing thing to watch when I find someone experiencing the goodness and the fullness of God. It's an ama- and from my seat and my role, it is amazing to watch. And I think about that. But here's the deal. In our culture, how many of you know that in our culture today, control is a big thing? Very big. Like, we like to be in control. Like, for me, for example, like, you know, I don't mind getting on an airplane. It's not, like, always the funnest thing in the world to do. But so for me, I have to have little things before I get on that plane. Like I, my wife will tell you, like when I'm sitting there waiting to board the plane, I like to see the pilots that get on the plane. Like I want to know that did they look like they got a good sleep last night? Like do they look educated, like smart? You know, that's important to me. Like I just want to know that they look clean kept. Like, you know, there's nothing that could be worse than getting on a plane and have the pilot say, we thank you for flying with us. This is my first time flying. And I just want to thank you for taking this chance with me. Um, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of control. I remember flying into Springfield, Missouri, and that's when you usually have to fly the smaller planes, right? And so those are kind of like the younger pilots. And I, my wife will tell you, I think we were in 
Charlotte or something, and we saw this kid get off the plane in his pilot gear. And he had like high waters on, like way up to there. And I mean, he looked like he could be my daughter, like 18 years old, like her age. And I watched him walk back, and he came back. And how many, you know, usually when I see the pilots come back to the plane, they got their Dunkin' Donuts coffee, maybe like a bag of Dunkin' Donuts or something. They're getting on plane. This dude comes back with Annie Ann's pretzels and lemonade. And he's going to fly my plane. It was a long two hours, I got to tell you. But control is big in our society. You know, we want, I don't know if you know somebody that has control issues. Maybe it's your husband or wife or whatever. But we have this control. We want to be in control. But sometimes, how many of you know when it comes to God, we do that same thing with him? You know, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go as long as I have things in control. As long as they turn out the way that I would want them to turn out. Um, that's how we treat God sometimes. And yet, I'm here to, this morning, and I've titled my message simply this, one. And I know that one is not a very significant number. You know, if I were to walk out of this audience and I dropped a 20 and a $1 bill out of my pocket, not many of you are going to fight for that $1 bill. But you might go after that 20, because that's lunch right there, right? One does not seem to be a very significant number, but th- let me tell you something. There's power in one. There's extreme power in one. There's significance in it. Our biggest problem is not that we don't recognize who we are or that we've forgotten what we are or even that we've lost why we do what we do as Christians. Our biggest problem is that we try to do it in our own ability. Instead of first of all saying, God, I'll be the one, but I'm going to rely on the one. I'll be the one, but I'm going to rely on the one. And here's the deal. We've always had this, but I think in the last year plus, it's never been more significant that we've had been overwhelmed by voices in the world. There are voices everywhere vying for your, they're competing for your attention. They want access to you. And all these voices want to contradict and have all these differences in your life. And they come at you. And God all along is saying, listen, I have plans for you. I have purpose. I have destiny for your life. Would you be the one in the midst of all those voices? And would you listen to the one? When I was a kid, I grew up in a kind of somewhat, not a big family, but I guess somewhat big family. I have two younger brothers and an older sister. And, and uh, so for us, you know, we weren't always the most wealthiest. And, and my mom worked full time. And so for her, you know, life could be scattered with such a different size family. The reality is we were all very close in age. That's the other thing. So, you know, we're all competing once and for everything. And it like, so when my mom came home for dinner and she rolled out 21 fish sticks, that's what you were going to get was 21 fish sticks. And so you had to, like, we called it grab and growl. You, like, you had to go as quick as you can, eat as quick as you can. Even to this day, my wife has to say, hey, slow down when you eat. Because I'm just, like, packing it because I'm just so, I'm still there. And I remember that. But how many of you know when you're, it's getting almost back to school time. So if you have kids or grandkids, if you think back to when you were a kid, there was time when you go back to school, it's that time of the year when you're a kid, you're picking out clothes and different times of things. But when you're, especially when you're in elementary school, there's one significant thing that back to school shopping involved. One very important, significant thing. And it wasn't the clothes and it wasn't the shoe. How many know the most significant thing to back to school shopping in elementary school was the lunchbox? The lunchbox. Like, you had to have the coolest lunchbox, or you would be, like, ostracized in school. 
Like you had to have what, it, what was going on. Was it Star Wars if you're in the 80s? Like was it Holly Hobby or Barbie, you know? Was it Spider-Man? Whatever it was. But you had to have the right lunchbox. And it was, it was fun too when I was in school because, you know, the lunchbox, you, you know, mom usually packed it. So I don't know about you, but I showed up to school and it was mystery what was inside the lunchbox. You know, you can almost hear the music playing in the background when you opened it. You're like, like, what's in here? Right? And your mind, the first thing that comes to your mind is, would anybody want to trade with me today? You know, is there a good sandwich? I mean, my mom used to pack lunch. I remember one time all I ever got in there was a little uh, juice thing and a, and a pudding pack. She forgot to put the sandwich in in the morning. And I'm like pulling out the pudding pack like, please, someone trade half a sandwich with me. I need food. But the lunchbox is a so important thing. And today we're going to talk to you just for a few minutes about a story about a young boy whose lunch became a miracle. Whose lunch became a miracle. It was all he had to offer, but it was enough. And guys, we live in a culture that spends its time and focuses on what we don't have. I deal with students all the time, right? And I feel like their whole lives, they're built around this image of what do I have? And that defines them. But here's the deal, the reality of it. The longer I do this job, the longer I realize that adults are no different. We define our lives by what we have and what we don't have. Like, do we have a nice house? Do we have 2.5 kids? Do we have two cars and a garage and a dog and cat? You know what I mean? Like, do we fit that? What do we have? What's in our wallet? What, I mean, what do we have? And those things define them. And typically those things, all, our, our life is based on what do we have? But I'm here to tell you that when we have the one Jesus Christ in our life, no matter how insignificant you might feel, what we have from God is enough. What we have from God is is enough. So I'm going to share a story with you. You might know it. It's a very familiar story. Maybe if you grew up in children's church, you've heard this story before, maybe seen the, the pictures and all that stuff. But I'm going to start real quick out of John chapter 6. And um, I'm going to read it to you starting in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a cr great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for those people to eat? Now notice the next verse, because how many of you know Jesus wasn't confused? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Listen, you need to grab a hold of that today. Jesus is not confused what he wants to do with your life. He's not confused. Maybe he's just waiting for you to step out. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread uh, for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, give thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
probably familiar scripture to many of you, but there's so much that we can learn from this one little boy's lunch. First thing I want to tell you this morning, I got three things I want to just draw your attention to from the scripture that I think applies to us this morning in the power of one. Number one, I would just encourage you, church, is this. What you have is from God. What you have is from God. The gifts, the abilities you have are from God. Nothing about you is an accident. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. What you have is from God. Notice he said here, in, 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 or when they refer to it in Matthew, when they're feeding the 5,000, the disciple says, we have only five loaves here and two fishes. Only. We have got to, we have got to stop saying we have only. Some of us live our whole lives in, with this whole idea that, well, I'm not good enough. Well, I only have this. I can only do that. What could I really offer? And I'm here to tell you that what you have is enough. What you have is enough. And once we realize that with God, all things are possible, and what greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world, you have enough. Now listen, the boy's lunch is a modest lunch, right? I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in um, children's church where a lot of times they had these pictures, right, of this boy, and he's carrying like these two or five French loaves breads, you know what I'm saying? Or he's got these two sea basses hanging in his hands. Now, how many know that's unrealistic, right? This was a modest lunch. This was not the five French loaves and the two big sea basses that he's carrying around. In fact, if you look biblically at his lunch, these were little flat barley cakes or biscuits that were baked on a gridiron or over hot stones. And barley, listen to this, was the food of the poor. It didn't have the substance or flavor of wheat, which was far more common. So we know this about this young boy's life. And then these fish, you know, like I said, they weren't like large tunas or bass. In fact, biblically, they were probably more like little dried or pickled fish, much like sardines. And they would take these sardines, and what they would do is because the barley had little flavor, they would almost rub it on the barley cakes to add flavor. So this little boy had a modest lunch of five little barley cakes with two little sardine-type fishes. Again, this was not legal seafood or subway it wasn't that and guys here's the deal we have to understand that what you have is enough God took that small little thing and he multiplied it and what small little thing can you offer to your church or your community that God could multiply because what you have from God is enough I don't know about you but I used to do that my mom used to say when I had a question or I didn't understand something my mom would always say that phrase that you guys probably know when I would say why and she would say because I said so or maybe you've heard it said before where mom says, well, because I'm the mom. And I don't know about you, but that never flied with me. Like, I know I needed a reason. But she didn't have a reason. She just said, I'm the mom. And because I said so. And here, I want you to understand something. Sometimes we try to tell people who they are supposed to be and where they're supposed to be going when we don't even know who we are supposed to be and where we're supposed to be going. The world doesn't want to hear what you have until you can at least tell them who you are. And I can stand before you and we can stand before God in our world and say, listen, what we have is enough. It's from God and it's enough. And if I'm in Jesus, then my identity comes from him. Who does God say that I am? It's important. Number two, I learned from this story. What you have is not just for you. What you have is not just for you. I don't know about you.
I'm going to put the guard up. All right. What you have is not just for you. I don't know about you, but I don't like to share food. I remember when I got married, my wife and I got married, and we sat down at a restaurant. It was one of the earliest memories I have. And she looks at the, we're looking at the menu, and she looks up to me, and she says, do you want to split? And I'm like, what? She's like, do you want to split the meal? Like, you, you know, like, who does that? Like, you get your food, I get my food. Like, why would I want to split with you? You know, and she's just like, well, but what if we can't eat it all? Then we take it home. Like, what I mean? Like, you want to split? Like, let's split the meal or something like that. I mean, even, even today when I say to her, hey, you want to split? She gets all lit up inside. Like, yes, I want to split. Like, it just means something. But I, I'm like thinking to myself, this food was made for me. I'm hungry. Find your own food, right? This is mine. But when I think about this scripture, the whole idea of what you have is not for you, the scripture passage doesn't exactly tell us how this went down, but the boy had to give up his lunch so that others could eat. And I just have to believe that the disciples didn't walk up to this young boy and say, give me your lunch. I just have to believe that he gave it up freely. They probably said, God wants to do something great. Take my lunch. I just don't think they snatched it from, I think they gave it up. And how many of you know that giving up is a really hard part of our world today? We like what's ours. And I just want to encourage you this morning, church, what opportunities are you seizing for God or letting pass by? Because I just believe this, that God puts opportunities in your way every day that either you seize those opportunities or you let them go by. In fact, you could be sitting in this congregation today thinking, man, I had an opportunity just yesterday to tell someone about Jesus. I had an opportunity yesterday to give and do something important. I have opportunities that are facing me even tomorrow when I walk into my workplace. And will I seize those opportunities or will I let them pass me by? Because I believe this more than ever, our world needs us to be who God has destined us to be. They do. When we were newly married, um, my wife, I bought, I thought I was so cool because she didn't have a car. And she was starting her student teaching, so... I mean, I was, thought I was really cool. I went out and bought a quality car, spent $1,200 on it, and uh, bought her this, um, like, Buick Somerset, I think it was called. I don't know if you've ever remembered the Buick Somersets, but we thought we were really cool. We thought we, we like to refer to ourselves as high-tech rednecks because, like, this thing had, like, a digital dash in it, and, like, it would tell you how fast you're going. Like, we, it was just, like, we thought we were cool, right? And so we're new youth pastors in Ohio, and if you know anything about the Ohio, high school football is like life in Ohio. And so we had a kid in our youth group who's playing football, and so we decided we we're going to go um, watch him play. And I remember we got in this $1,200 most expensive car, and we start driving down the road, and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, the horn would go off in the car. <laughs> like it would just beep, beep, you know, little beeps, and I'm like, what is this, right? And I remember even being at the stoplights, and the car's, why the stoplight's red, it's beeping at the car in front of them, you know, and they're like, going like this, I'm like, it's her, it's not me, you know. I remember getting to the football stadium, we parked our car out in the, in the, in the parking lot, and we're in the stands, and you could hear the car going off in the stands, the horns just beep, beep, like, and people were eventually like, who's out there honking their horn, and I'm like, yeah, who's out there honking their horn? We drove this car home, and then by the time we got to our apartment complex, that's when it just let go. I mean, it just, like it didn't just beep, beep anymore. 
And it's like 10 o'clock at night, light. You can see the lights flipping on. And I'm in the middle of the dark. I've got the hood open on this car, and I'm pulling every wire I can find <laughs> and try to get this car to stop. Eventually, it did. Next thing you know, we get out in the morning. We're like, oh, we get out in the morning. I turned on the car. I had killed everything in that car. You never knew how fast you were going anymore because the computer thing was dead. You had to guess how much gas was in it. Like, I had destroyed this car. But that car has always served as an illustration to me is I just kind of think that's what God wants from us. Like to be unstoppable. Like when it doesn't make sense to the world and or anybody else around you, God still says, I want you to be unstoppable. I want you to get to a place where people don't understand what you do, but you do. Because you understand that what you have is not just for you. It's not just for you anymore. What God has given is not just for you, what he's given you. In fact, I love what John 15, 8 says, by this my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. And so prove to my disciples, when we bear fruit, we show others that we are followers of Jesus. It's amazing. I think it's important for us to let our lives be a distribution center for what Jesus has given you. Give what you have. Third point. Last thing I would say is this. What you have is enough. What you have is enough. Perhaps, this is probably the, perhaps the most important point this morning. What you have is more than enough. In verse 12, it says this, And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples to gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. They had leftovers. In the midst of this modest, small lunch, there was leftovers. There was leftovers. I believe this. God uses small things to do big things. Big things. What you have is enough. He uses the weak things in the world to confound the mighty. Think about this. Just a couple quick examples, biblical examples. Look look how small things. God used the tear of a baby to move the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. A shepherd's stick to work a mighty miracles in Egypt. A humble Moses to deliver his people out of slavery. A sling and a stone in the hands of an unknown shepherd to kill the giant Goliath. Small things. A young girl named Esther to bring a great leader name into his knees. Gideon, the youngest child in the least important family to be victorious over Israel's enemies. A widow with a little meal to sustain his profit. I love this. Small things. A jawbone of a donkey to slay a thousand men. But how about this one? Small things. A teenage girl to carry the son of God. And a young boy and his lunchbox to feed 5,000 people. What you have is enough. Never, folks, sell yourself short because when you have God, you and God equals enough. You and God equal enough. I want to encourage you this morning, Terry, you can help me. I want to stop focusing on what we don't have and who you aren't. We should probably stop focusing on past hurts and failures and start looking forward and saying, God, what I have is enough. The abilities, the talents, you've created me for purpose. You've given me destiny. You've given me all these things. Now it's time for me and the church to live at a greater level of influence. Again, I I hate to draw attention to it because it's so overplayed, but we've gone through a rough year. And I think there's a lot of Christians that have recalibrated their mindsets. Not in a great way. 
We've kind of lost focus of God. We kind of lost focus of this whole scripture, the whole idea that what he's given us is enough. What he's placed in us, the talents and the abilities, they are enough. And I think that post-COVID, God's simply reminding us in the scripture in John 15 where he tells us it's time to abide in me. Abide in me and then what? I in you. Abide in me and then I in you. That's a big word. Because there's power in one. There is power in one. Who you are, what you have are enough because of who he is. And because of who God is. And you might feel totally insecure. You might feel totally inadequate this morning. But I'm just here to tell you and just encourage you that God wants you to know that if you have him, you have enough. If you have him, you have enough. When my daughter started third grade, we were living, we were teaching at that time, before we came to district office, we were teaching at Zion slash North Point. And we had just moved the campus from Rhode Island to Massachusetts, and my daughter was going into third grade. And she was going to start a Christian school. And she was so excited to start this Christian school because for one reason only, she got to wear a uniform. Like she thought that was the coolest thing. And uh, I could, she wouldn't think that today, I just got to tell you that. She's 21, but third grade, she was, thought that was pretty cool. And I remember her first day of school, it was about six in the morning, and she came running in the room, I'm asleep, no one should be awake at six in the morning, it's just too early. And she came in the, my room, and she tapped me on my shoulder, I'll never forget it, and she took a step back, and she looked at me, and she said, Dad, how do I look? This is what she looked like on that first morning of her school year, I think it's up there. Right there. Her uniform morning. So she came in the room, she wakes me up, she takes a step back and she goes, Dad, how do I look? And the first thing that came to mind was like, oh, baby, you look beautiful. You look great. You know, I'm opening one eye, you know. And she just goes, thanks, Dad. Took off running out of the room. But here's the deal, church. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart that morning, immediately after she left. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know, and that's how I feel about you. Because here's the reality. My little girl could have walked in the room with her hair messed up, holes in her stocking, maybe her shirt not looking right. And if she would have said to me, Dad, how do I look? You know what I'd have said? You look beautiful. You look beautiful. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart that morning and said, you know what, in all your failures and mistakes, even through all the sins and things that you do, I still think you're beautiful. I still think you're beautiful. I can still use you. I still have plans for your life through all of that. The cool thing is, is my daughter's not here this morning. This is my daughter at 21 years old. This next picture. She's not here this morning because she goes to University of Valley Forge and she's on a worship team. She travels. In fact, this morning, she's at Calvary Christian in Linfield leading worship at their church with her team. And I look at that example and I'm like, wow, God has done great things in my life. He's blessed me. And I'm just here today to tell you, to proclaim over your life, if you feel like, hey, listen, I don't measure up. I don't have enough. It was just a small lunch, y'all. It was just a small little lunch that a little boy gave up and God did incredible things with. You know, 
This kid woke up that day, right? Not knowing what, I, I can only imagine, he woke up the day, his mom packed his lunch with no idea that he'd be a catalyst for a miracle. How do you know what's going to happen to you when you walk out that door? That you'd be a catalyst for a miracle in somebody's life. You know, I'm sad. It's one of the things I want to get to heaven and I want to ask, I want to meet this kid, right? I just got to believe he's there. And I want to ask how this went down, you know, but here's the reality is this. We don't know anything else about his life. We don't know anything about his biography, what happened to that. But I can't help but imagine that. Could you imagine just what happened that day when he returned home? And mom says to him, how was lunch? That little boy's probably saying, Mom, let me tell you about lunch. Let me tell you about lunch. And I think God's got plans where you can say, let me tell you about Victory Church. Let me tell you about the people of Victory Church. How God took small things to make big things. I close with this, man. I, the, the, I love the, the parables that Jesus tells because it illustrates the power of one. And he tells a story about how the shepherds in the field there were, had 100 sheep and one wandered away. And the Bible said, now listen, I, I don't know about you. I'm not a great mathematician. But the Bible says that, G, that the shepherd left the, the 99 to go after the one. And I'm not a great, again, I'm not good at math, but I do know that 99 is more than one. Like the stupid sheep shouldn't have wandered anyway, right? He got lost. You still have 99, but he risked it all to go after the one. It shows me how important Jesus believes in the one. The next parable, he talks about the woman lost, had 10 coins, right? And she lost one. And again, I'm not good at math, but I do think nine's more than one. And yet, he, she destroys her house looking for that one because one was significant. And then he finishes the parable with the prodigal son who wanders away, gives everything away in his life, squanders his dad, the wealth his dad had given him, thought he could do it better on his own. But what I love about this illustration is it says that when the son was afar off, the father saw him and ran to meet him. And here's what I want to say to you this morning is, listen to me. I don't think it was a coincidence that the father was on the porch that day. I don't think it was a coincidence he just came out that happened to be that morning. I'm going to have my coffee. Oh, wait, there's my son. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think the father went there every day looking for the son. Looking for the son to return. And so I'm just saying today, would it be great if a collective effort of church people came together and said, God, I want to be the one. I know you've been looking for me to step up. I know you've been looking for me to recognize the gifts and the abilities of my life. I know you've been needing me to recognize that what I have is enough. I know you've been needing me to recognize these things. And so, God, I'm willing to step up and say, God, I'll be the one. I'll recognize it this morning. Now, listen, you've got to understand something before you say, yes, I'll do this. To get to Victory Church today was very easy for me because I could turn on my GPS and this beautiful lady will come on and tell me in a mile when I need to turn, right? And the beautiful thing about this lady is if I go the wrong way, guess what it does? It reroutes me. I mean, I'm going to get here because the beautiful lady on the voice on the phone is going to tell me how to get here. And how many of you know sometimes that's how we treat God? Well, God, tell me which way to turn, tell me which way to go. But how many of you know that's not God's theology? Sometimes he just hands you a compass and says, go north. And you're like, wait, 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 when's the beautiful lady going to come on and tell me to turn left or right? And God says, no, 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 just go north. But wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. What about when I get to the point, what if I get lost? God says, no, 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 no. Take the compass and go north. I wish I could tell you I have all the answers, but only he does.
But I do know that he hasn't told us, he hasn't called us to have all the answers. He's called us to trust him. Lean not on our own understandings, but always acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Go north. Go north. Father, this morning I just thank you for this opportunity to come and share with your people. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord Jesus. And I pray that in this room, in these few moments we have together, Lord, that, God, you would speak clearly to those in this room. God, we had a powerful worship service. We have an opportunity to encounter you in such a real way. And now, Lord, I pray that all that was a setup so that your word can be proclaimed. And your word today is true. That, God, what we have is enough. That what we have is not just for us. I pray that there would be people that would get out of the if-only mindset in this world and realize that you can do so much with one. Maybe we only have one little gift. Maybe we only have one little talent. Maybe we even feel like we have nothing to offer, but God, you can do so much with so little. And so, Lord, I pray today that you'd move on our hearts, move on those in the room today, God, that just need to be encouraged and strengthened. I pray for a spiritual boldness and confidence to come over to this congregation. Like a confidence, Lord, that they've never had before. A, pro, pro, a, a confidence to proclaim you. A pro confidence, Lord, to display you. A confidence to be an example. That, God, there's no way that they could be denied that you are the one. And that you've called us to be the one. And so today, God, as we just take a moment to pray in the next three minutes we have together, Lord, I, I ask this. Maybe you're in the room today. I want to start this is where I feel the Holy Spirit's leading me. But if you're in the room today, your head's bowed, eyes closed, I just want an opportunity to pray for you. But I, I believe there's some in here, first of all, that would say this. There are opportunities before you that you need to seize for him. And maybe today you've been encouraged that, you know what, I am good enough. God does have purpose for me. God does it. And there are opportunities before you that you need to see, whether it's in your work, workplace, your church, your, your community, your home, home, opportunities that you need to seize for God. If you're here today, can I just pray for you? And maybe you would be confident enough just to maybe lift a hand up, put it back down again, just a hand and say, hey, I know there's opportunities. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Hands everywhere. Lord, I pray that providence, that victory, that communities beyond here will be better because a group of people said, I'm going to seize the opportunities that God's laid before me. God, I believe you give, them, give us those opportunities every day. And God, I think that, Lord, that we either seize them or let them go by. And I pray that there would be just a confidence and a boldness to seize those opportunities that are before us. Opportunities to tell others, to show others, to be the one that you've asked us to be. And so, God, those who've raised their hands today, I ask, God, that you would give them a confidence and a boldness. Lord, show them the way and give us the, the boldness to follow it. In Jesus' name. And the last thing I would just ask this as we pray together. Preach a, preach a very simple message this morning, church. Very simple message, but yet a message that some people just need to hear. They need to be encouraged this morning. And maybe you're here this morning, you needed to hear this idea that God is proud of you no matter what you've been through and what you've gone through, and maybe you've questioned what you can do for God. This morning, if that's you in this place where you just feel like, hey, 
Would you pray this morning, Pastor Ethan, that God would just encourage my spirit, encourage my soul. I've been a little bit on the wandering side, a little bit on the doubting side, but I am ready to say, God, I'm willing to be the one for you today. If that's you here today, can you, let me pray for you. Could you raise your hands? Let's put it down again real quick. Anyone else? Thank you. Hands everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray this. Would you come? Encourage our hearts, Lord Jesus. Fill us up anew. Fill us with your presence this morning and would give us an anointing and a courage and a fervor like we've never had before. And God, I dispel the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy that like to tell us that we're not good enough, that tell us that we have nothing to offer, that like to come and bring confusion into our life. In fact, even bring confusion to our faith. But I pray that in this church today that there would be a, a, a sealing of our faith. Lord, there would be a faith that would rise up inside us like we've never had before. That we know that our God is with us and not against us. That we can stand firm that what he's done in us, that he's created us for a purpose. That none of us in this room are accidents. But that matter, no matter how young or old you are in this room, God has purpose and destiny for their lives. And may we run with that, God, and be encouraged with that today. Lord, we love you today. I pray that this would be a church that grabs a hold of the spiritual compass and goes north. Not needing all the control or all the answers, but just trusting in the God that has plans for us and purpose for us. May you take our modest gift, may you take our modest abilities and multiply it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.